they would point out that it is absolutely emblematic of an attitude of empire towards colony. The way in which the Irish uh, situation of a potato failure, a potato blight, was handled or mishandled or deliberately mishandled uh, is, is, is emblematic of so many things that go on to the present day. So whether it's the famine, whether uh, whether it's the partition of Ireland against the will of the majority of the people of Ireland, or whether it's the, the, the uh, dragging of Northern Ireland out of the European Union, even though the majority of people in Northern Ireland voted to stay in that union, it's the same mentality. So in a sense, every day is that attitude of Angorda Moore while, while, while decolonization is incomplete. Spaces that are completely segregated and racialized. What it is like to be you know, queer and Arab and how difficult that might be, or how do you negotiate that? The destruction of the social cultural world of black people, of African people, those who were here before. Which kinds of bodies get disciplined and regulated through discourse, but also in actual practice? Hi, I'm Magrida Waku. I'm Caroline Honorian. And I'm Leopold Lambert. This is the Phenomenalist podcast, operating in parallel with the Phenomenalist magazine that engages with the politics of space and bodies. Our hope is to provide a useful platform where activists, academics and practitioners build solidarities across geographical scales. Each episode, we invite someone we admire and learn from their experiences, research and struggle. Hello everyone! Today uh, we're coming back for a new episode of the Phenomenalist podcast and my guests are two people for once, uh, which is Robbie McVeigh and Bill Ralston. Uh, Robbie is a researcher based in Edinburgh who has published ex extensively with a focus on human rights and equality in the north of Ireland. And Bill is a former professor and director at the trans of the Transitional Justice Institute at Ulster, Ulster University. Um, and they're both the author of, uh, of an incredible book, really, uh, whose title come in both in Irish and, and English. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pronounce the, the title in, in Irish and they will correct me. Um, Anish, Eart and Tanri, which means uh, now the summer is coming. Island, Colonialism and the Unfinished Revolution, uh, which was published in, two, uh, in 2021. Uh, Robbie and Bill, he hello. Hiya. Hello to you. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak uh, with me. Uh, it's, I mean, after reading 400 pages of yours, uh, written very small, I feel I already know you, but <laughs> it's the first time we actually speak. Uh, could you could you please repronounce the title uh, of the book uh, in Irish? Anish, Anish or Hocht and Tairi. Thank you very much, Robbie. And yeah, so I guess the, the voice that seems to come from a little bit further will be Robbie and, uh, and a little bit closer will be Bill. So uh, you can recognize them this way probably. So, I mean, the, the title of the book is, is fairly explicit and you, you dedicate a, a, a large portion of it to retracing a non-exhaustive yet holistic global history of colonialism in order to situate Irish history within it. Uh, so beyond the academic debate, which you, you talk a little bit about on whether 
British colonialism in Ireland was or is indeed colonialism or not, like sort of like internal, internal academic debate. Outside of this internal debate, why is that such an important question to you to that that we are we should be able to read the Irish history through uh, the, this uh, spectrum of colonialism? Well, firstly. I give an answer, I suspect Robbie has uh, additional answers. First one that comes to mind is that by taking this frame, it puts Ireland fairly and squarely uh, in the middle of a whole pile of debates that are going on currently. I mean, since the killing of George Floyd and indeed other events in the last few years, there's not a day goes by where you can't pick up a newspaper, at least in, 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 in our part of the world, or listen to some program on uh, of current affairs where colonialism does not enter the debate at some point or other, whether it's about Black Lives Matter or the struggles of the Chagos Islanders to against against uh, uh, against Britain, or slightly back a few other years the 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 claim by Kenyan survivors of torture by the British in the British courts for reparation, so on, so on, so on. It, it's it's an everyday thing now, and it's like. Colonialism was there all along. Colonialism was forgotten all along in so many debates in so many countries. But it's like the the um, the top has been popped off the the jar and it's all poured out now. So it would be a shame if Ireland was not in that debate somewhere. And our argument is that Ireland belongs fairly and squarely in that debate, even though for many decades that was denied by most academics and most politicians. So I, I take your point about not wanting to go down the, the, the sort of narrower academic route, although it is important uh, because academics do have influence, they do have impact on the real world of politics and cultural cultural affairs. And so it's important that we, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, my career was as a paid academic, Rob, Robbie is an academic but a, a, an independent researcher, that it's important for us as academics to try to um, have some impact in that real world and it has all sorts of consequences. We, we get to some of them as we go along. Consequences about how you read Irish history, how you, how, how you read Ireland currently and how you read the question of where does Ireland go from here. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, the only thing I would add to that is that yeah, we, 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 we wanted to, to situate the Irish history and the Irish present in the context of, of, of that wider history of colonialism and imperialism and I suppose you know one way one way to immediately hang that is the is the fact that 2020 was has been was the start of the fourth decade uh, uh, on the eradication of, of colonialism uh, at the UN and there's two really significant points about that uh, 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 that, that notion of what colonialism involves. The first is that it's clearly seen as with mopping up the last vestiges of colonialism. So it's it's dealing with you know still what are still tortuous, uh, highly politicized uh, situations like uh, Gibraltar or, or New Caledonia. But it's nevertheless it's it's it is that sense of it's how do we deal with the last vestige of of, of colonial history? I I think the uh, as Bill said the the, the, the Black Lives uh, Matter moment. Uh, blew that away. It said that you know colonialism is everywhere, and everybody's still trying to deal with that history. And that's precisely what we were trying to say in a in a in the sense of what we do in Ireland and uh, in terms of dealing with our own history, and also uh, with this question of where does Ireland go from here. So it's uh, uh, 
the problem then you have with that is, of course, is it then becomes so huge that you know the the the, the history of colonialism has been so defining in terms of the the contemporary world that we're all trying to make sense of and, uh, and act in politically that you don't know where to begin. And I think the book is an attempt to to to, to work its way through colonialism and say there are certain things that. That, that do help you just to, 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 to start that journey. And in the Irish context, it's most obviously the reality of partition. It's most, uh, it's most obviously the fact that uh, Ireland clearly had an unfinished revolution in the sense that the, the moment at which we would have expected to see self-determination in, a, in, a, in, in the way that it happened in most of the rest of the, the, the world in the, throughout the, the 20th century, it didn't happen. And we're still living with the the, the, the legacy of, of, of that uh, particular failed decolonization. So that's that, that that if you like is our starting point. Thank you very much, and I'd like I'd like to insist also uh, how generous your book is in the way it also it it absolutely fits to also a readership that would not be that familiar with the history of Ireland, but also because precisely of the way you start by painting a history of global colonialism and then very humbly situate our island within it. So I, I really, uh, I really, yeah, I really want to insist on that and, and really invite people to, to read, to, to read it. And so if we, if we now really uh, focus on Ireland specifically on it and, and its history, Uh, not going too fast, though. I mean, well, I mean, there's technically 900, 900 years of British colonialism uh, to cover. But uh, but if we if we start with uh, one particular event that uh, you you go back to, uh, I mean, you finished writing the book in 2020 at the peak of the COVID 19 pandemic, which um, for you woke up the ghost of Gorta Moore, uh, the the Great Hunger. Uh, which killed half of the Irish people between 1845 to 1852. Uh, can you tell us how this traumatic event, which is usually analyzed as something akin to a natural disaster, something that you know we nothing could be done against? Uh, so, how this traumatic event is actually a highly political phenomenon? Yeah, I mean, there, there, uh, we should start by saying there's always a grisly calculus around the estimating deaths and in, in, in contexts like this, but. It, It probably was less than, than half of the Irish population, but certainly, uh, you know, and during a Gordon and afterwards, half the population is 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 removed either through through death or emigration. So it's a, a really profound catastrophe. I think that you know there, there there there's the key the key point I think for for us is that uh, on the one hand, the those who reject understanding Ireland in, in the in the context of colonial history usually then have to employ some sort of exceptionalism to explain what, 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 what went on in Ireland. It's about religion or, 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 or something else. So that, you know, we were obviously keen to reject that and, and reintegrate uh, Ireland within the colonial par paradigm. But once you do that, you're then presented with um, uh, something which is quite exceptional. And that's the, the fact that not only was Ireland part of the British Empire, and a lot of our history is explained by that, uh, But by that process, it also was in 1800 integrated into the Union, into what is still the United Kingdom, and that was a unique place for a, for a colonized space to be. You know, you could only only I guess uh, Scotland is comparable in that sense. So that when you're working through uh, the, the continuing legacy of colonialism, you have to you have to both understand the generalities and the and, and the commonalities with 
uh, with with other places uh, that, that suffered from empire and, and more specifically from the British Empire, but also in the Irish case, you have to then make sense of what did it mean to be integrated into the Union in a way that other colonized peoples weren't. And I you know, and I think if you if you do want to to begin to unpack what what that's about, then of course in Gordon Moore is a is a definitive experience because you know as I was saying in 1800, the Irish people were against their will and uh, recruited into this new political formation, the, the Union. You know, there was no, there was obviously no democratic vote in it. Uh, uh, if there had been, Catholics were excluded from, from both the vote and, and sitting in the Irish Parliament, so they had no they had no part in that process. So the Union is, is something which is constructed uh, against the will of, of the Irish people, and yet within a generation, uh, uh, as we said, a third to a half of them, Die or are forced to emigrate, and I, the, the the profundity of that catastrophe, you know, it sometimes disappears. But you, you can remember that both as a as an Irish event, in the sense that we're just talking about about what it did to Irish people. But you also have to remember that as a as a British event, as a as something that happened within the Union, it it it, it involved a, a an actual decimation of the British population. It's quite shocking when you put it in those terms. But this is this is an event which which kills off or forces forces out of the country, 10% of the population of the United Kingdom. So a profound event, not just for, for the Irish, but also for this holiday that we still understand as the United Kingdom. So in that sense, uh, uh, you know, it's, a, it, it's the most obvious way of unpacking the, this particular and specific uh, location of, of Ireland, both within the Union and, uh, and within the Empire, and the way that those conjoined political entities um, Define our our, our, our our experience uh, right up to the the, the the present. Then, in terms of the, the the second point that you were alluding to, it's this. I think there's there's something really important about the, the fact that this happens inside the two most powerful <laughs> political entities in the world in, in in the middle of the 19th century. So, the British Empire and, and the Union are incredibly uh, sophisticated, advanced industrial economies, incredibly rich and, and incredibly politically. Powerful. So it's not just that uh, it was. It's not the case that there was an absence of food in Ireland. There wasn't. These people were 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 allowed to 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 to, to starve to death. So in that sense, it's clearly a political choice made by uh, the, 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 those two entities, empire and union, and that then begins to define the way that we should make sense of what those political entities were about, both union and and empire. Um. The only thing I'd, I'd sort of add is is thinking of another place where it's it's not an issue of famine but a place of catastrophe. If you take the 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 Arabic word Nakba uh, in relation to Palestine, the creation of the state of Israel and the destruction of almost five hundred villages and towns where where Palestinians lived and their displacement, and they have a great saying in Palestine that every day is Nakba. Do you know that notion that history is not something that just happened then, but history is something that reverberates to the present day? Now, could you say, for example, in the current Irish context, that every day is, is in Gautamore? Well, it's not. You know, we're over it in that sense. And in that sense, it is way back then. But I would point out that it is absolutely emblematic of an attitude of empire towards colony, the way in which the Irish... Uh, situation of a potato failure, a potato blight, was handled, or mishandled, or deliberately mishandled, uh, 
is, is, is emblematic of so many things that go on to the present day. So whether it's the famine, whether, uh, whether it's the partition of Ireland against the will of the majority of the people of Ireland, or whether it's the, the, the uh, dragging of Northern Ireland out of the European Union, even though the majority of people in Northern Ireland voted to stay in that union, it's the same mentality. So in a sense, every day is that attitude of Angorda Moore while, while, while decolonization is incomplete. Yeah, and I mean, just to, also to put it in the wider context that, you know, if you're, if you're looking to apologists of, of empire, particularly apologists for the British Empire, the, the, the usual tactic is, <clears throat> is now to regard uh, the, the, the final victory of, of the empire against Nazism has been the, the high point of empire, you know, the, the point at which it finally came good and did the right thing, if you like. But I mean, simultaneous to, 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 to that, 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 the world war and the outcome of the world war, Perhaps five million people were, were starved to death in, in, Bengal, in Bengal, uh while it was still part of the British Empire. So you can see exactly the same decisions being made about letting people die in the context of empire, right at the end of, uh, of empire. So it's, there's, a, there's a continuity there that, that, that sweeps right across that, across that history. But I mean, the really significant point about it is that it's not a that it's not it's a choice that is made. That they have that you have both the capacity and the resources. To, to make sure that not one person dies and yet people that you know huge numbers of people are allowed to die and that if you're really looking to the, to, 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 to get a sense of what the, the essence of empire is about is, is there in that, in that cruel statistic. Thank you. Well, uh, Bill was mentioning incompleteness and of course that brings us back to this uh, unfinished revolution that gives the title to the book which uh, which um, designates uh, the 1916 to 1921 uh, Irish Revolution that led to the partition of the country that you were just talking about, as well as uh, the civil war uh, in the so-called free state between those who wanted to finish the revolution uh, and those who wanted to end it, if I, if I may, <laughs> uh, uh, worked on that nuance. Um, can you can you maybe take us back to this crucial moment and its consequences up until today? Because in that case, it is every day that uh, the, the revolution is unfinished and has consequences on on life in in Ireland, and um, and perhaps in particular addressing uh, uh, part of our listeners who might not be as familiar with Irish history as as uh, some others will be. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying very hard to resist uh, giving a 27-minute lecture of that <laughs> few years period because uh, it wouldn't do anybody any good. But you can uh, give a 12 minutes lecture if you want. <laughs> no, but no, no let, let's, let's not get bogged down in the details. Suffice to say that at a certain point in the middle of the First World War, uh, Republicans, some socialists and others seized the opportunity uh, which had been done in Irish history previously to say, look, that England's difficulty is Ireland's opportunity, so let's have a rebellion, let's have a revolution. Now, there are all sorts of debates as to whether they, they were doing this just as some sort of gesture, you know, some sort of political gesture, or whether they seriously believed that they had a chance. And I fall on the side of believing that they seriously believed they had a chance, a remote chance, mind you, but a chance to, to, to make a blow for liberation uh, in the midst of... Britain's other difficulties with with the world war. Now that rebellion was quickly put down for all sorts of reasons. It didn't it didn't take off in the way it should have. The leaders were executed. There there then began 
both a political and a popular uh, opposition to British rule in Ireland over a number of things, including over the execution of these leaders, some of whom were very popular people, poets, trade unionists, others. Uh, and and the, 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 the political organisation that, that spearheaded that was Sinn Féin, uh, political party formed in 1905, not originally uh, um, a full-fledged liberation party, not not originally a Republican party, but by now a Republican party. And they basically, uh, along with other people in a wider movement, did two things. Firstly, set up political institutions separate from the British and started doing it themselves, including a parliament, an illegal parliament. And secondly, an armed rebellion against British military in Ireland. Uh, there was a general election in 1918 that could have, if it had been acknowledged, could have made all the difference to history in which, uh, what was it, Robbie, almost 70% of the votes throughout the right. island were gained by Sinn Féin, was it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was a clear majority for Sinn Féin standing on a Republican yeah. platform. I think that, that that's the that's the first point. But the second point is that this is also the first and last time that the, the whole people of Ireland were offered a democratic vote on anything, and that you know this is the this is the key moment right. for us because for the first time you, you you know there's this notion that somehow something happens, some some weird phenomenon happens after 1916, whereby the whole Irish people suddenly are suddenly radicalised and, and realise the Republicans. We, you know, of course that's possible, but the reality is much more likely to be that 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 uh, if democracy had ever been offered to the Irish people, they would have voted precisely in this way. And it's mm -hmm. only in this one moment that that, that that we're offered that choice. We take the choice, and then the choice is denied by uh, the, the the British response to it, where they refuse to recognise the the institutions mm -hmm. that emerged from that election. So just to finish the story then, the culmination of this, it's, it's collapsed in an awful lot of detail into, into a few short sentences, but the culmination is that ultimately there is a war of independence, there are, uh, there's a ceasefire, there are peace talks, there's a treaty, there's finally uh, a decision brought about mainly through British pressure on the Irish delegation in the peace talks to say you can have a mode of independence for 26 of the counties of Ireland, but the six northern counties where unionists are in the majority, they will not be part of your form of independence. They will maintain, they will continue to be part of the United Kingdom, also with a small devolved government in Northern Ireland. So that, and uh, it goes on after that because then the Republicans split as to whether they would go with the treaty or not, and a civil war ensued, etc., etc., etc. Now, okay, if you didn't know any of that detail, you've now either run out to get a glass of whiskey, or you've fallen asleep. But here's the point. The, the, the point The point is simply that, that how, how do I put it? It's, it's partly Robbie's point about the democratic choice, but it's also a point that we make in the book of saying that if you come towards the end of the 19th century and the start of the 20th century in Ireland, and especially in the southern parts of Ireland, you've got a coming together of a lot of forces for liberation. There were feminists, there were socialists, trade unionists, writers, uh, all sorts of people. Now, they all they didn't all agree on every aspect, but there was a real, how to put it, a real buildup of steam over this possibility of a new liberated Ireland. An Ireland that we'd, would not only not be an empire, but would be different from anything else that they'd, they'd seen. It was, it was, a, it was a, a leap of imagination. 
and it had some 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 uh, consequences. For example, um, the first woman to hold ministerial office in the world was in this illegal doyle that the, the Republicans, the illegal parliament that the Republicans sent, set up, uh, Countess Markiewicz, Minister for Labour. So th there was a great chance for an imagination for, for actually saying the summer is coming. You know, we're really, we're, we're really going to get into something new here. And that was beat on the head. That was stopped by the British intervention and by partition. Jumping forward for one last sentence to say that um, we believe that not quite in the same way, not to the same extent, but in a, in a, with echoes of that period, we, we're coming at the moment to another such period when a whole lot of forces on this island are getting together to say, we want to imagine something different and we can make this happen. Well, so specifically talking about that and having in mind that uh, elections are, are coming out and Sinn Féin might actually be uh, elected on both side of uh, on, on both side of the of the of the colonial border, um, I think something that I that I was keen to talk about is how, at least for the external readers that I am, um, I feel that usually the paradigm in which we read the north of Ireland is as the place of the country that's still under occupation and that we need to free in order to reunite, re, reunite Ireland. And, um, and, uh, and with this very sort of uh, one-sided process where the North joins the South, so to speak. Mm. And what really hit me in your book is how you're basically saying that both the North and the South are still very much involved with logics of colonialism. Of course, the North one in much more explicit ones than the South. But, but still, like at the end of the day, the vision that uh, sort of your book promotes is, is a vision where uh, the, it's the entire country that needs to, to be decolonized in order to form a new Irish polity. And so I, I wanted, I wanted to, to ask you more, to tell us more about this. Yeah, I, I think well, a, a, an easy way into to that would be to, to, to just say that, and, uh, you know, recently, uh, you know, directly because of the, the, the war in Ukraine, you've seen the, uh, a, a debate spring up again around Irish membership of NATO uh, and, and against Irish neutrality. And that kind of a, it's a, a stark reminder of, of how far the 26 county state has come in, uh, from, from, from its origins and, and where it sits, where it thinks it sits in the contemporary world. And I suppose the only thing I would observe about that is that if you if you go with our analysis, that the decision around NATO should be a decision for the whole of Ireland, not for uh, either either of the the, the, the the two states which now exist on on the island. So that, I mean that's a, a a stark stark example of the way that you know a a, a, a widespread and deeply felt commitment to neutralism uh, and neutrality coming out coming out of uh, of Irish history is now beginning to to, to shift into a, a very different place. Now, the way I think that we would begin to locate that is that, uh, as we touched on before, the, the two states that, that emerged out of partition were, uh, were, 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 were certainly not one thing. That, that, that's the, you know, the kind of self, the, the, the state that emerges from a process of self-determination in, in, in most colonial contexts. So if you've correctly um, characterized some of the issues in the in the six counties in the north that people are probably quite familiar with and in, in, in terms of this you know this uh, notion of a Protestant state for a Protestant people that was almost the the antithesis of of, 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 uh, of, of anti-colonial self-determination 
But what happened in the 26 counties is in some ways more interesting and, uh, and even more problematic in some ways because it's harder to read. Whenever the British uh, uh, allowed partition and a, and, a, and a level of independence to, to develop in the 26 counties, they, 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 the, the model that they presented for that was one of white dominion. So it was, it, it was precisely the, the, the model of a movement towards a level of, 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 of autonomy um, and um, democracy in, 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 in places like New Zealand, Canada, uh, Australia, and for us, I think, uh, most strikingly, South Africa. So they, they constructed South Africa as a white dominion, even though it clearly had a, you know, an overwhelming black majority. But the, 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 the space that was, that was to be uh, provided to South Africa and all these other white dominions in the context of empire was, was one in which the, the, the empowering of a settler colonial class was to be reproduced rather than, uh, rather than removed by, 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 uh, uh by further autonomy, so that 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 white dominion model that was foisted upon twenty six counties, nobody, neither unionists nor nor republicans, wanted that. But it was a it was a British colonial model, was one that continues to define the politics of that of that entity to the, uh, to this day. You know, the kind of the, the politics that emerged from that state were again the antithesis of some of the stuff that Bill was talking about earlier. The kind of the the the, the radical internationalist uh, progressive. Movement that 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 that, that uh, supported the rise of Sinn Féin and and, and other uh, broad progressive movements in Ireland uh, was very quickly closed down, and you saw the emergence of a a a a, a, a fairly conservative uh, Catholic polity that mirrored in many ways the the the, the conservative Protestant polity in, in the north. And you know the reality is that we still have to deal with those. Both of both of those policies today. So the, the big question for for anyone who's who, who wants to return to the to, to, to the, the the question and issue of what would self determination for Ireland look like is that now you have to negotiate a relationship with both of those states and both of those states have very in, entrenched internal logics uh, in, in which they think their own survival is much more important than any more any bigger vision of what's what uh, self self determination for the whole of Ireland might look like. I'd just like to take up for a minute that point that Robbie made about white dominion or the the white bit of that phrase. I mean, uh, Robbie, I know, knows this argument better than I do, do but the argument of Noel Ignatieff, uh, who wrote the book in the United States about how the Irish became white and, and that's how they were incorporated into the white system, having been outside that system beforehand, having been seen originally as not white, uh, when they originally, you know, poor Catholics emigrated to the United States, what became the United States. But uh, there was a very different but not dissimilar project that happened through this incorporation of the free state in, into the into the white dominion club, whereby it, they, they, you know, the Irish had been racialized themselves. But now Ireland as a as a as a as a state was facing this sort of choice. Where is it you lie? Where is it your interests lie? Do your interests lie with the other white, powerful states in the world, or do they lie with the majority world, as we call it now? And there were all sorts of vestiges of a radicalism that kept appearing at various points that said that a lot of the politics was happiest when placed in the majority world, seeing themselves part of the majority world. But over the decades, that has decreased. There's still vestiges of it there. I think, for example, although we could get into a long and and, and very 
virulent debate about uh, the welcoming of Ukrainian refugees throughout Europe at the moment compared to the non-welcoming of refugees of colour in Europe at the moment. But let's leave that just aside. But it is interesting the speed with which Ukraine, uh, with which the south of Ireland, the, 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 the Irish Republic as it's called, responded to this crisis in terms of offering places to people. Uh, much, much quicker, for example, than the UK did, than Britain did, the UK of which we in the North are part. So there's still that vestige of, of this sort of empathy, this, this uh, resonance with the majority world. But that has declined massively over the years through all sorts of things, including um, uh, participation in the European Union. Short version of the conclusion of that story is then to say that we would argue that one of the challenges facing a new Ireland is to say where do you place yourself do you place yourself with the white majority world whether that's in terms of joining NATO etc etc or the non-majority world the white world excuse me or do you place yourself with the majority world and what are the consequences of that not just in terms of non-alignment but also in terms of of uh, of support for for development uh, opposition to military militarism etc etc Thanks. Well, you you already <laughs> Bill, you already start answering my next question. But <laughs> I, I think I want to push you even further on that because I I will say I will say this again. I I really uh, think this book is excellent, and it's not my my publisher did not, your publisher did not put me up for it. Uh, but uh, because as we said, it's like okay, let's 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 talk about the history of Ireland, but let's place it within a within the global history of of colonialism, but also, okay, let's talk about colonialism, but how can we talk about colonialism without talking about racialization as well, which is not exactly, like both of histories are not exactly the same, but they overlap in large part. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested in how you do not shy away from this question and, and you, you really engage with the relationship between Irish people and, and whiteness uh, in a way that I think make it much more complex than what we're often getting in terms of discourse on whiteness, also because they tend to come from settler colonies themselves, where whiteness is fairly simple. You know, it's 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 the settler's race. So uh, in in the continent that has and its islands uh, that has that has birthed whiteness, I feel that we're we're also witnessing much more uh, nuanced uh, uh, um, uh, or degrees of whiteness. I mean, you just talked about Ukrainian refugees and we, we've seen how at this moment in Europe, Ukrainian refugees are white, but that, that, that might be the first time really. And, and unfortunately that might not last at all. Like in two yeah. months, yeah. Uh, 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 I mean, if you, if we talk about, uh, you're on nemesis. I mean, uh, the the Brits will definitely realize in in a few months that uh, Ukrainians are not are are not white, if I may say it in such crude way. Just like they during the Brexit debates, they they've been like there's been like horribly racist discourse against Polish people, and and also I I, I think I want I want to hear a little bit more from you about this relationship between Irish and whiteness. And and it's many in its many different configuration. I mean, there's the pre-1922 uh, dimension. Uh, there's uh, of course the way whiteness might be perceived in the south versus the way it might be perceived in the north, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the police, for example. Uh, 
in the, in the diaspora, I mean, you you talked about how the, how the Irish became white. I mean, you know, I, I lived in I lived in New York for five years, and uh, most most cops you'll you, you'll run into would be would be and and those who actually uh, are uh, guilty of of some of the most anti-black uh, actions, they'd be Irish. Uh, and also talking about black people, you also talk about Irish blackness, which is which is also something that sometimes goes unnoticed. I would say so. So, so sorry that was quite long. But would you, would you mind telling, telling us more about that? Well, I mean, there's a lot in that, obviously. But I, I think I would start with the. I think this is a, a conversation which has to be very nuanced, and uh, you know, the, 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 there are there are ways in which it is very often abused in a. In a, in a quite a, a reactionary and racist way, in the, in, in the sense that the, the the specific location of of Irishness is, is seen to uh, somehow mediate some of the uh, some of the uh, racist abuses that have been meted out against other people. You know, it's a particularly live in, in in the states where you can see a uh, the experience of the Irish sometimes put up as a as a mollifier against the experience of African Americans. The most notorious example is obviously the notion that. Uh, the, the Irish were enslaved in much the same way as African Americans, and therefore, uh, and therefore that um, uh, that 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 somehow uh, the injustice that was meted out through enslavement and and, and, and racism in the states is uh, is less significant than it should be. So we you know you ne- we need to to acknowledge that that is part of this debate, and it's really very problematic. But at the same time, the other side of that, as we've we've said already, is it's important to to to, to recognise that whiteness. If it existed, for in terms of our interest, didn't protect people from the catastrophe that was on board of more, as we've we've already talked about. So in that sense, it does begin to unpack the the simplicity that sometimes informs the way that people think about whiteness and 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 uh, and being of of color or whiteness and uh, and non whiteness. Now, and specifically in the Irish context, I think that. Um, the, the, the reality is, that in terms of colonial history, for most of that, that, that history, Irish people didn't think of themselves as, as white in Ireland, and it was really the process of of, of moving uh, both as, uh, as 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 refugees of starvation uh, and later as uh, 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 as migrants to settler colonial regimes that first uh, made Irish people aware that, that for some of them at least. There was an opportunity to mobilise whiteness in a in a way to empower themselves in the in the way that we've, we've sort of we've begun to talk talk about already, like the, uh, the 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 police, not just in New York but across many police departments in the in the states, is is the classic example of that. That you could you could use uh, Irishness and whiteness as a as a way uh, of of. Uh, of of getting power for your, for yourself and your community and, and 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 both political and economic advancement, so that that's something that happens in the once again in the context of of, of empire. It only really um, uh, becomes meaningful in in, in, the, in the debate in Ireland at the at the time of partition, as we said before, and and at that point, whiteness is very clearly thrust upon. The twenty-six county, you know, as I said before, the 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 the, the place that the, the the new twenty-six county state is given within uh, within empire is one of white dominion. That's the model that they're supposed to follow. So the first time Irish people have to think about what it means to be white in that in, in that context. And as I say, it wasn't particularly a choice that they made. It was a it, it was a a, 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 a a polity and a structure that was forced upon them. That then 
changes again over time. I think uh, for us, the, the, the 26 counties joining the, the, the European Union was a, was, a, was a key moment in terms of the integration of, of Irishness, and particularly the 26 county state, into a, a new notion of Europeanness and, and also whiteness that was, that was different again and moving people away from their awareness of their own their own uh, colonial history and and, 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 and you know the, the a new place in which Irish people began to think of themselves as good Europeans and therefore whiteness was kind of integrated into that in a in a in a, in a way that wasn't particularly thought about and then even more recently you begin to see uh, a more a more straightforward racist politics emerging in the 26 counties where you know particularly around the citizenship referendum where tiny numbers of of, of people of color uh, uh, children children of refugees uh, force uh, a, a change in, in, in citizenship law in the 26 counties in a, a straightforwardly racist way so that you know there, there's a long history of, of, of people beginning to engage with what it means to be uh, to, to be white in the context of uh, of Irishness, and I think, I mean, the only, the only, the thing that we can say simply in terms of a, a rejoinder to that is that, that, that at the same time we have to, first of all, say that, there, that that this was never a given. You know, at the time of Angora Moore, it was a meaningless. It was would be meaningless to suggest that that, that Irish whiteness did anything for, for for Irish people at that time. But at the same time, right through this history, there have been Irish people of color. So we have to. You know, continuously contest the notion that there's a there's a simple equation between Irishness and whiteness. Uh, Irishness has uh, has gradually seen whiteness become more important for some Irish people, but at the same time, you're seeing a whole counter narrative with the emergence, particularly in the in the 26 studies recently, of a of a new generation of of, of people of color Irish who, who completely contest the notion that. Yeah. That, uh, that to be Irish is to be white because it's, it's simply not empirically true and we would argue it shouldn't be politically true either. It's a really dangerous uh, development that needs to be rejected. Yeah, that, that last point's a good one, Robbie. I mean, the point is, I'm sure you know this, Leopold, that you know, if you were doing sociology or racial studies 101, uh, the first point would be to, 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 to point out that uh, race, race is a social construct. It's not a given. And you know, sometimes it's very hard to see that when you're in the midst of a thing. Like, for example, um, <clears throat> if you were to say to most Irish people today now that people in the time of the famine of the Angorta Moor did not see themselves as Irish, the sort of, sorry, did not see themselves as white, excuse me, uh, they'd probably say, but like, of course they were white, look at them, you know, but that's only the, 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 the surface. And the point is, not only did they not see themselves as white, they were not seen as white by, by empire. And that's a crucial point. The two things go together. The empire certainly did not see or represent the Irish as white, just as early America did not see the Irish, and especially Irish Catholics, as white, and that's that's been. Although when you're in the middle of it, you don't necessarily notice that transformation. That has been a substantial transformation in culture and identity over you know 150, 200 years for what it means to be Irish. Now this challenge of Black Irishness now is really really interesting because you've now got some of the best Irish dancers, Irish sports people, Irish musicians are Black, and not just immigrants but children of immigrants born and raised in Ireland. And that is, is sort of the most obvious cultural challenge to this narrow-minded view that it's all on the surface, that being, being white and being Irish are 
are, are coterminous. You asked about the North. The North has a, has a, has a different nuance to it. I mean, I'm saying this two days after uh, the Multicultural Centre in Belfast, which is a, less than a mile away from me, was burnt down in a, in a, in a racist uh, fire, right? Um, <clears throat> so <clears throat> you, you'd like to think that somehow um, being victims of colonization <clears throat> would make you <clears throat> uh, aware of other victims of colonization and, and, and to, to, to align with other victims of colonization. It doesn't always work. It's clear in the Irish example, it's clear in many other colonised examples, it all it doesn't always work. But certainly in the North, you've got a much more open and obvious uh, alignment with empire than you have in the South. It used to exist in the South much in a much greater form, but nowadays that's more obviously uh, apparent in the North, that there's a recognition between empire and being Northern Irish, being an Ulster person, as they say, uh, and, and that lends itself to um, not seeing these connections easily between um, b between your own situation and, that's, and the situation of others. I I'll give you just one quick example. I've got a great um, interest in, in looking at wall murals and photographing wall murals over the last 35 years. And anybody who's been to Belfast will know the range of international connections that you see in Republican wall murals. You know, over the years, there have been wall murals about Cuba, Palestine, uh, Nicaragua, Kurdistan, South Africa, uh, Caledonia, uh, no, sorry, Catalonia. <laughs> Where did Caledonia come from? Catalonia, Basque Country, etc., 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 etc. You know, so it's it's this notion of you know we're all brothers and sisters in this great big international struggle together. But if you look at the murals of the other side. It is very rare to see international references at all in any of the loyalist murals. And the only one you're likely to find is representations of Israel, right? Um, interestingly, by the way, there are also now um, Ukrainian flags flying alongside Ulster Volunteer Force flags in parts of Belfast. I'm not quite sure how to figure that one out. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I don't know how deeply you want to go into this, but I think I mean one of the significant developments for me in terms of this, uh, the, the relationship between Irishness and whiteness is is the, a, a significant, if underreported, move by uh, the Boris Johnson and the, uh, and the Tories in the UK in response to Black Lives Matter, where they, they set up a commission that was supposed to engage with the the, the legacy of of uh, the, the the questions of Black Lives Matter for for the UK state. Now the most significant thing that came out of that that that, that, that commission, the Sewell Commission, was the construction of the UK, which I, I think for the first time as a white majority country. Now you can see you can see where they're going with that. You know, there's a there's a there's a possibility to mirror some of the, the, the troubles in the states in, in the sense of you can you construct a populist uh, majority around around you know straightforward racism and a, and, and the reality of a, of, of uh, a white majority status for a certain amount of time. I mean that that's what that project is about. Uh, now the, the the interesting thing for us in terms of the six counties, of course, is that uh, that the that part of that construction of a white majority UK depends on on the on the vast majority of people in the six counties who may or may not see themselves, you know. Certainly, Republicans and Nationalists haven't seen themselves in those terms at, at all. They haven't seen themselves as British, let alone uh, you know white British in that context. But it shows the way that this 
that that concept moves on and becomes particularly dangerous in the, in the, in the context of the, in the, 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 the politics of the, of the contemporary world. But, you know, in that moment, you kind of see all the contradictions of, uh, of whiteness, both in the, in, the, in the British context, but also in the way that it impacts directly onto, uh, into the politics in the North. Yeah, perhaps just to, to add to the North, I mean, could you could you tell us very briefly about the segregation in, in jobs as well? Because I think that that would definitely go um, further in your way, Bill, uh, like saying this is not just about how people are, are seen, like their degree of paleness or something like that, but like uh, there is there is a straight up uh, colonial, uh, perhaps unofficial yet totally efficient segregation between Protestants and Catholics in the North in, in, when it comes to, to jobs. So could you tell us about it? Well, one of the things we argue in the book is that if you look at the, I, I, I'm swinging back a bit for the answer to run, take a run at it. If, if you look through the 19th century, as Ireland is incorporated into the union, you see an increasing uh, acknowledgement, I suppose, by, by the British uh, rulers that uh, you have to give the Catholic majority in the in in the in the most of this island, you have to give them a political space. They were denied a political space before the union for centuries. You had the you had the um, the existence of what was called the Protestant ascendancy, whereby the the bulk of land, jobs, and political power uh, and wealth were in the hands of. Protestants and in particularly of Anglicans, of high church Protestants. So in the 19th century, that declines and you begin to get Catholic wealth, Catholic power, Catholic um, uh, ownership throughout, especially the southern part of Ireland, what became the southern part of Ireland. Now, partition did this amazing thing in that it turned back the clock in relation to the north. It in effect re-established the Protestant ascendancy, right? It in fact said that as far as long as we can maintain it, wealth, power, etc., will be in the hands of Protestants and not of Catholics. Now, we're not going to go into all that, but that's where the civil rights campaign came as a reaction. So there's something about the North that's a complex mixture of direct colonial intervention and then almost what is it they call it in the Marxist books, comprador bourgeoisie re uh, reaction. It was, you know, it was not just done to us. We did it to ourselves, if you want to put it that way. This arrangement in the North whereby there's segregation was in the interest of not just the British, but in the interest of Northern Unionists. And they have maintained that to the best of their ability. They've come under severe pressure from the civil rights campaign up to the present, whereby uh, holding that line of um, of ascendancy has become, if not quite impossible, increasingly difficult. Now, what I'm saying is that all of that, to my mind, now maybe Robbie should come in here, but all of that, to my mind, doesn't directly relate to the question of whiteness. Of course, you had unions at certain points of time uh, colluding with colonial views of the Irish and seeing the Catholic Irish in particular, but not them, of course, as Protestant Irish, uh, seeing uh, the Catholic Irish as somehow less than civilized, less than white. But um, why don't I leave it there and let Robbie do a better job with it? <laughs> well, I, don't, I mean, I suppose that I think the, I th I think the reality is that in some ways <clears throat> the thing that you're, the question you're asking is, is, is 
works better with the, with the state that was established at partition. You know, it's, it's changed. There's been quite profound changes in the state over over the last hundred years. And most notably, first with, with the imposition of direct rules, where the where the UK government takes responsibility for the the state because of the outbreak of the troubles in 1972, and then more profoundly, in some ways, with the Good Friday Agreement, where there's an attempt to 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 create a a a a a, 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 a uh, a new state, if you like, based on a peace process, which, which at least acknowledges the reality of Catholic and Protestant difference, nationalist and uh, unionist difference, Republican and loyalist difference. So, uh, you know, how successful that's been, I think, is it is is going to be called into question, at least by the, the election, which is going to uh, come in less than, the, the, than a month. But the reality was that that that, that state looks very different from the, the, the state that was explicitly a Protestant state for Protestant people. Uh, you know, established in in, in 1920, 1920 with partition. So, <clears throat> to go back to your your question, <clears throat> the reality of institutional discrimination and segregation is also very different because of the the the, the changes in those states. Uh, you're now uh, we're now approaching a situation where it, it looks as if there will be a Catholic uh, voting majority or a nationalist Catholic. Voting majority fairly soon already is a, a, a you know the transition towards a Catholic demographic majority and those you know those two 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 things aren't necessarily uh, related because it, you know of course it's possible that uh, a, a large proportion or some proportion of Catholics start to vote for explicitly unionist parties so you know the, 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 there's not a necessary correlation between those 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 those, those two changes but the one the, the one reality that 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 that, that unions have to face up to, which I think they haven't really faced up to, is the old model of a Protestant state for a Protestant people isn't possible in the context of, of, of the new demography that we that we live with, you know, a, 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 a Catholic and perhaps nationalist majority in the in the six counties. So that's the that's the reality that's less to do with politics, I'm sadly to say, and, and more to, 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 to do with demography. So in, in that context, you know, I go back to, to, to what I was saying earlier about the the, the, the dangerous politics that come out of come out of any kind of populist majoritarianism, whether it's in the UK with this new notion that it's a white majority country, or indeed Trumpism in the states, where you where you with with the depressing thing is that you can see some of the the characteristics of of of, of Trumpism and New Republicanism as you know the the, the explicit racial gerrymandering of of of, of, of popular elections and the and the and the uh, the, 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 the um, politics of, of of control democratic control that goes with that in precisely mirroring what was done in the early years of the Northern Ireland state so in that sense you know this that 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 kind of complexity that comes out of out of populist sectarian racist majoritarianism is is not an old thing although it character absolutely characterized Northern Ireland uh, from, from from day one it's it's beginning to in, in, inflect and infect the, the, the politics of the whole world and you know and, and in some ways that's another good reason for, for reading Irish history and understanding it but it also is shows how you know how, how important it is to, to engage with these histories if you want to develop a politics that is some way of countering them. Thanks. Perhaps as a last question, and going back to what you were just talking about, Bill, um, describing the, the West Belfast murals, and uh, that um, of course is very spectacular in in 
mostly a, a great way and and you know seeing seeing all those struggles sort of mm. being part of the west belfast uh, republican imaginary um to the list you you did i would add even uh, ilam ilam tamur uh, uh, uh struggle yeah. which i was very happy to to sort of see on those walls um or similarly to see palestinian flags in in many places including like in small uh, catholic villages along the coast that i've seen i mean as you can see behind me as uh, these flags are definitely something that is in particular the palestinian flag some things that i absolutely don't think as um as a non-operational solidarity but i sort of wanted to ask you beyond the sort of the spectacular the the visible the the uh, what is meant to to act as a visual symbol uh what forms do you do you see as a solidarity taking uh between ireland and other other places other struggles in the world uh that already exists that could exist that should exist uh, uh uh so in a way that to end this conversation on a on a very internationalist matter where we started from well if i take it first and then robbie i i know has things to say on this um I go back to something that I hinted at earlier. It would be lovely to think that it, because you've been colonized, that therefore you have this sort of collective memory of that and that therefore you, you, you immediately bond with all those others in the world who've been colonized. But it doesn't work that way. We know it doesn't work that way. It didn't work at, at, at that way in the heyday of colonialism and it doesn't work now uh, for the Irish or indeed I would argue for any other colonized people. Right. So let's put it in the Irish context. One thing that we argue throughout the book is that the, the, the choice in Ireland facing people, facing everybody from, from the highest to the lowest of, the, of, of the, the social hierarchy is where do you stand? Do you stand with empire or do you stand with republic? Do you stand with, with decisions being made for you and about you elsewhere or do you stand for liberation and making your own decisions? Do you stand for savagery or do you stand for liberation? Right. Now, uh, the surprising thing is that not every colonized Irish person answered that in the way you might expect. Right through the latter part of the 19th century in particular, it was clear that most Irish nationalists, especially political nationalists, I mean those who were involved in political parties, etc., sided with empire. And their position was one of saying, look, we have fought for empire, we have administered empire, we have got jobs through empire, we have exported to empire, we want a fair share of empire. You know, the, the, the English are getting all the advantages. We want our fair share. Now, it's not the position that I would take. I don't know what position I would have taken back then, but I see the, 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 uh, the contradiction of that. But we would argue that the current choice is exactly the same. In Ireland, in the, in the Southern Republic, quote unquote, the Free State, quote unquote, and in the North, which is still part of the UK, that is still the same choice. Do you stand with Republic or Empire? And if you are serious about standing with Republic, what are the consequences of that? Now, in the North, uh, there are a lot of people who stand with Republic and see that in international terms, who identify, who resonate with those who are also colonized currently or who are, who are in a process of decolonization. And that's what you see in the, in the flags. <coughs> that's what you see in the wall murals. But not everybody from a Catholic nationalist background thinks that. And certainly not everybody from a unionist background thinks that. 
not everybody in those two constituencies stands with the Republic, but they stand in ways with Empire. And that is the challenge in the North. It's also the challenge for the whole island to say, look, if you are serious about being an independent Republic, <coughs> what are the consequences of that, of your international connections, of your international stances, of your international alignment? Um, I think the debate is probably more live in the North, especially at the popular level, than it is in the South. But it is a debate that's there and it's a debate that needs to be um, even more vocal, I think. Yeah, I, just to pick, I mean, that was, that was, that was beautifully picked and I don't know if I'd want to add that much to it, except to say that that I think, you know, that obviously the logic of our, our book is that there, there should be a moment of, 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 of self-determination for the for Ireland as a whole. There should be a finishing of the revolution and, and, a, and a, a united Ireland, a new 32 county state will emerge out of that process if it, if it happens, all of that. You know, we, I would I would stand by, and I would hope that that, that the, 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 the the state that emerges from that would be, uh, you know, would put itself at the heart of the non-aligned movement, drawing on some of the history we talked about earlier. You know, it would it would see its a, a core role as as decolonizing the EU if it if it chooses to 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 hmm. to uh, just to, to 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 stay part of the EU. So it would it would bring all that history into that new context. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that. You know the, the states that, that emerged around the world from self-determination have also been, uh, you know, far from perfect on, on any of those accounts. And you know we have to acknowledge that 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 that, that that's the reality of, you know, it, it'll be a, a it'll be a better state. It'll be a more internationalist state. I hope it, it, it's it's more progressive in in opposition to starvation around the world and solidarity with other other colonized nations than either the six countries or the twenty six countries have been. But nevertheless. You, we must expect to be disappointed by the by the kind of politics that emerges in that state. That's just the reality. So where where does that where does that leave us in terms of your, your initial question? It's like the the, the, the the truth that you see on the walls of, of West Belfast, it comes from the ordinary people of West Belfast in struggle. And that's and that's and that's true writ large. Like I'd like to see a more progressive internationalist Irish state as a consequence of self determination. But at the same time it's it's gonna be ordinary Irish people who make those Make the decisions about how they do the right thing on on Palestine or racism in America or partition in India or whatever question. And I suppose the the only thing that I would say very straightforwardly and definitively in terms of the, the politics that we have to start that process with, uh, and it touches immediately on, on on what you were saying about uh, the the place of whiteness within uh, within Irishness, is that I personally think that we Irish people should just reject completely. The, the, the notion that they are white and, and, and that whiteness is, has any connection to Irishness. Now, once you've done that, it doesn't mean that we're absolved of all the responsibility for the for 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 uh, Irish American racism or the the, the, the the poor positions that either states have taken uh, uh, in terms of international justice. But what it, what it, so but, but what it does mean is that that, that that the proper terrain to contest those issues is a question of what Irishness is and should be about. And, uh, and 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 the reality is that if the the first stage to getting clarity, if you like, and that is, is is to reject this notion that the Irish are white or should be white. Well, Robbie and Bill, thank you so much for your time this morning. I mean, there's so many things we haven't even touched upon. Well, thanks, thanks again, very very much to both of you. And uh, okay, 
again, like I highly, highly recommend it. It took me a few weeks, I have to say, to, to read the whole book. <laughs> well, but it's clear that you did. I'm very impressive. Yeah, yeah we're <laughs> the, the, que the question showed that you read the book. Yeah, but it's also it's also because you know, as I said, it is a very generous book, and I, I've seen it. I've seen people in Ireland reading it, and I've been able to read it without feeling like I was being left out of your argument. So I'm very grateful for this. So thank thanks you. again. Thank you. Okay. Very